Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Seek, Go, Create podcast. This is Tim Winders, your host. I just want to thank you so much for downloading, listening, just being a part of what we're doing here. I'm just so thankful for all the comments, the shares, the ratings. I just want to say how much I appreciate you. Today, I, you know, I say this every time. I feel repetitive. I'm, I am so excited about the conversation that I get to have today, and I'm excited that I've got the recording going so that you get to listen in. I, I guess I could say this is a unique guest, but not really. You know, Bart Christian, I'll give you some of the highlights. He's president of Southwest Training Systems and author of top-selling book series, Simple Solutions. We'll be talking about that later. He's a trainer, a speaker. He's in the areas of leadership, communication, and in some very specific niche industries that we're going to talk about. That's really one of the main reasons that I first wanted to get him on is because he operates in a niche that I think almost everybody knows about it, but my guess is very few people think much about it. And so I think we're gonna talk about that and he's gonna teach us and share with us about how he developed that niche and what he does there. But here's kind of the cool part. Bart and I both grew up in a small town just outside of Atlanta. And we have probably known each other for maybe almost 50 years, which was such a, an amazing thing because we're both only in our early 40s. We've known each other <laughs> Bart, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Tim, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to sit down and talk to you. And it seems like we just saw each other yesterday, but I know it's been a little while since y'all visited with us here in Arizona. It has, it has. Hey, before we get started, and you and I have so many things to talk about, and we'll we'll try not to have an old home day conversation so that people don't get bored with that, but one of the things I love to do is ask people, just give their elevator pitch. You know, I go over the bio and talk about things, but I like to just ask people, you know, what do you do? I bump into you on the elevator and I say, hey, what do you do, Bart? Tell us what you do. Well, we change lives in child in the child nutrition market. Uh, no, that's probably one of the most underserved, underappreciated groups of people in the education industry today. Uh, serving selflessly from their heart and you know we have a real passion for making those people see the value of what they do and uh, watching their eyes light up when they uh, get a new a renewed kind of spirit about exactly what they're giving to the kids across the country. Excellent all right so you just kind of gave it away you told people the niche you function in and there's a term that a lot of us use, we'll maybe call them lunchroom lady, and, and if, if that is politically incorrect, you tell me, but, but that's the term that a lot of us used growing up, and maybe I'm trying to bridge between people listening in and understanding, but talk to us, I, I want you to educate us on that niche, because there are a lot of people that know about it, or maybe know it exists, but they don't know much about it, so we're going to go into a lot of things about attitude communications and I'm going to have you teach us a lot of those things, but, but I would really love for you to just educate us on that niche and maybe even tell us a little bit about how you got into it. Well, there's uh, roughly a hundred thousand public schools throughout the United States of America. Uh, I think it's the 98 and some change 10,000 public school districts across the country. Every single one of them serves, a meal or two or in some cases three every single day. Now, you know, uh, lunch lady, as you said, is not a it's not a politically incorrect term. As a matter of fact, I know a lot of guys who wear the moniker lunch lady very proudly. Uh, so, but you know, I, I try to I'm trying to get across this message that yes, that that that's endearing, 
but it's really not accurate in today's world. With the Obama administration, we saw massive change across the country in the regulations and these ladies and gentlemen's ability to actually serve meals that the kids would eat. And uh, because of the reduced sodium levels and things like that, it's pushed schools more towards processed food versus home-cooked food like you and I used to have. Now, I'm not going to lie, you know, you're never going to call a lunch, a school lunch, five-star dining, but, uh, but it has always been healthy. It's always been uh, nutritional, nutritionally sufficient. Uh, but some of these new regulations have really tied these ladies and guys' hands and their ability to go outside of this processed program that we seem to be all on. Um, one of the things that frustrates me to no end is when people badmouth child nutrition because I see these people every single day. I work with these people. I've worked with districts from California to Georgia, from Maine to Maine, I mean, just all over the country. And, you know, what I see consistently across the board is these people care. They serve from their heart. They do it for love. You know, they do it for minimum wage in most cases. They work long hours. Uh, and they do it without really complaining. They just, and, and the impact that, you know, I saw this not too long ago on the cover of the child nutrition, uh, school nutrition's uh, monthly magazine. And it said, a hungry child can't learn. Well, I was so excited to see that because I've been saying that for 20 years, that a hungry child, not only a hungry child can, cannot learn, a hungry child can't function. And in so many times in these schools across the country, and if there's any parents listening, I, w I would encourage you to do a couple of things. You know, get involved in what's going on in your school nutrition. Because the interesting thing about education is that when they have testing week, there's memos that go out district-wide, make sure the kids eat breakfast, make sure the kids eat lunch. But when testing week is over, it's not ever mentioned again because it's, it's not viewed as an essential part of the education program when it is, in fact, the core, in my, in my belief, of sound education is having, you know, a, a full belly. Because a hungry child can't, not only can't learn, they can't function, they're not going to participate in class, they're going to be tired, they're going to be sleepy. And, um, you know, I, I just, I have a real passion for making these people understand that they're not just lunch ladies, but they're child nutrition professionals. And even, I, you'll see, and if you follow me at all on my, pod, on my website or my podcast, you'll see that I constantly use the word superhero, child nutrition superhero, because that's the way I look at them. They are truly heroes in many, many districts. What is, what, you know, Bart, one thing that came to my mind when you mentioned the numbers and how many people were involved, I don't know that I, I mean, I'm a business coach. I'm in business. There are a lot of our listeners I know are business people and they run companies and some people are wanting to start companies. And then there's also a lot of parents and things. The actual scope of what goes on in this industry is staggering. The amount of people fed, I mean, you know, we go to a nice restaurant and we have reservations on Friday night. There's a small little place here where we're at currently in Bend, Oregon. They've got 20 tables. They'll probably run, I don't know, 50, 80 people through that restaurant over the course of four hours on a Friday evening. Right. Yeah, that, that's easy stuff, right? Absolutely. I, you know, if you look at, if you go into just a, just go with, I live in Marana, Arizona, which is a suburb just outside of Tucson. And uh, I go into uh, high schools in Tucson and they'll serve anywhere from 1,500 to 2,500 kids lunch 
in 45 minutes to an hour. Okay. And they do it every day. They serve probably a half to two thirds of those kids breakfast every day. So you're talking about another seven, eight, nine hundred people for breakfast. So every single day they're pushing, you know, what is that, 2,500 meals? And if they have a supper program, which is the new thing, there's a lot of underserved communities that are now being having USDA funded supper programs. So you add another three or 400 onto that. I mean, it doesn't matter what community you're in. It doesn't matter where you are. The bottom line is the, the school nutrition program in your community is the largest food service operation in your community. Now, I've heard people say often, you know, well, McDonald's is larger. No, they're not. In the, in the city of Tucson, there's maybe 12, 15, 20 McDonald's, and they're doing exactly the kind of numbers you're talking about. TUSD, Tucson Unified School District alone, has 90 serving sites in just the city of Tucson. Marana, which is where I'm at, has 25 serving sites. And there's multiple other school districts within this area. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a phenomenal operation. Watching those people get that food in, get that food out quickly in the in amount of time. Because the average, this is an interesting statistic, Tim, is that the average child in public, public education has 11 and a half minutes to eat their meal. Now, I, you know, and that's, that's another big push that if there's any parents out there listening, do you really realize that your child, your elementary school child, that doesn't have half their teeth has got 11 minutes to eat their food. And you wonder why they come home hungry sometimes. It's because they don't have enough time that now the older kids can just wolf it down. But little kids, they don't, they, they don't particularly introduce some new foods like has been mandated in the past few years. Mm-hmm. And now they're, they're not going to do that. And so it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. Yeah, I'm sure it's a challenge. You know, it's interesting, Bart. One thing that came to my mind, too, and then I'm, I'm actually about to move on. I want to, I want to talk to you about how you got into this niche. And I want us to maybe talk to other business people that are trying to get into a niche and own it kind of like you own this niche. But I had a thought that crossed my mind and I don't want to, I, I don't want to leave it because there are so many challenges in that industry. I actually met a man the other day right here. We're in our RV and, and I met a guy in the RV park and they're moving to this area away from Florida because they're, both their children have some immune issues and mold and things like that. So they're moving uh-huh. to a drier area. And, uh, and he said they went to the schools and the school people said that they're roughly 30%-ish of the children in this public school environment that have some form of allergies and that they can't have any peanuts. And, and I, you know, you and I, we went to school together. We may talk about that in a little while. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember any of that being an issue back in the dark ages. So what is, what is going on with all of that? Well, I can conjecture a little bit and that's what I'll do. But I, I, my, my wife is very much about health net. And, uh, and I mean that in the most positive way. Because she's, she keeps me healthy, she's kept our children healthy, she's very judicious about what we eat, about what we eat and, uh, and, and, and I just consider that a blessing. But uh, she's done some research on that and, and you know, there's a lot can be attributed to a couple of things and I'm, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy white though, but you know, the, the amount of processed food that, that has been forced upon us by just the way that we eat. Uh, has I, there's a there's some correlation to that when you look at when that really got introduced and when these allergies began to rise. Uh, there's some correlations between this hyper vaccination 
culture that we live in. Not that I'm anti getting shot, but but the reality of it is there is some there is some direct line correlation with when that program really became as aggressive as it is that you began to see allergy problems. Yeah, let me pause pause you right there. Actually, the immunologist for this father told them that the reason that they had been compromised, their immune system, was the inundated vaccines. I was really surprised. And, you, you know, we have to, I don't mind getting controversial, but obviously this is a very controversial topic. Wow. All over this area of Oregon, there are billboards for and against the vaccination thing. And I, I, I like the way you said it, the hyper vaccination is really, and, and you know, what he said was the doctor told him that all the vaccines that their child got that already had a little bit of a genetic immune issue, just mm -hmm. set it off right after birth and they didn't know any better. And now they wonder about it. So that, I, I think that backs up what you're saying. Yeah, well, you can't deny, I mean, it, you'd be foolish to say that vaccines have to save lives. I mean, yeah. because, because clearly they have, but, but, but we live in a, a, a age now where it seems like we're, we're terrified of getting sick. And, you know, and all, both my kids had the measles, both my kids had the chicken pox, they had the mumps, they had everything, and, and so did I. And, and you know what? We survived. Now, is it dangerous for certain people? Absolutely. Is it dangerous for the vast majority of people? No. So, and, but, but, but we're treating things in a, in a holistic way rather than looking at them as case by case. Right. So that's a bigger even health discussion. So, but I'm sure that that's a challenge for these people in this you know, this ultimate service industry where they're having to be open and inviting everyone. So anyway, well, thank you for sharing, just giving, giving us some education on who these people are and the challenges and all that they face. But that, I'll go back to something. That is a big push in schools right now is allergies. You know, we've developed, we've been asked by our customers to develop an allergen training program simply because there really is not one for schools. And, and, and it, it is, it is, it is a, it's, it's a hot issue amongst child nutrition because there are so many kids. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so Barna, you, you've been in this industry for some time, I believe going on 20 years. If, if I did my math correctly and recall correctly, and when I did my research here in the last few days, how there are some business people out there. I know that are listening to this, that they're attempting to build a business, build a company. They're wanting to get started and they believe they need to be all things to everyone or they are looking for their audience or people that can listen to them. Can you go back and tell us, I don't, I don't know if it's magical, I don't know this story, so this is gonna be fun for me to hear. How did you become involved with this industry and this niche? I mean, I know you ate school lunches because I sat near you at times when we were doing it, but, but other than that, how did you get involved with this niche? Well, it's kind of a convoluted story, and like, mo like most people that get into business, I mean, I didn't set out to do any of what I'm doing today 30 years ago. Uh, you know, I was a salesman working for a chemical supply company in Conyers, and uh, worked my way up through the ranks from salesman to sales manager to eventually general manager, and we, the guy that I was working for got into this mode of buying other companies. And so my job was to, when we bought a company, to do the Machiavellian thing and go in and make them us or else kind of thing. And so that's what we did. Uh, and we bought an, a company in Marietta, Georgia, that had this little small piece that did what I'm doing today. And it was a part of it, 
And when they, when we bought the company and we began to integrate together, the guy that I worked for, the owner of the company, said, well, I don't want to do the school thing anymore. I want to just plus shut it down. And do it. But I had been looking at it and researching it, and I said, well, let, Ronnie, I said, let's, let's keep it. And just let me play with it and see what we can do. Well, we quickly, within a year, took it from being just a, a, just a fraction of our business to a substantial, extremely profitable part of that company. And he and I had a little bit of, I don't want to say a falling out. We had a difference of opinion on the direction of the company. And at the same time, I went to a meeting, a national sales meeting for this particular brand of chemicals that we sold through this line. And they showed a map up on the wall of just where they had distribution. Well, all I saw was where they didn't. And so I went to the owner of that company who had, I had developed a friendship with, and I said, look, I'm unhappy where I'm at. I really would be interested in start helping you to start a distributorship in one of these areas, but I'm not interested in a job. I said, so if you would, I said, you know, I can build a company because we've done it here. And I said, if you're interested in helping to stake me some inventory, I'll go out to Arizona and build a distributorship. Because I'd been here before and I loved it. It was nice. And I was kind of, I was kind of like you and I think uh, Glory did. You know, you woke up one day and said, I got to get out of Atlanta. And, uh, and, and, and that's what we did. And so my wife and I, along with a, a friend of mine who was going to be my business partner, uh, we made the decision to move out here. And, um, you know, I'll tell you this, this is kind of talking about a God thing. Um, when we came out here to look at houses, uh, we were, this, this happened, we made this decision in April. We were living in Tucson by the end of September. So that's how quickly we did it. Uh, in September, we flew out to look at houses, myself, my wife, and my, my best friend, and who was going to be my partner. And he died on the trip. He, uh, he had a uh, pulmonary embolism and, 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 and passed away right while we were in Arizona for the first time. So um, you can imagine the impact of that. And so I went back to Conyers and said, you know what, I think maybe I, this is not the thing for me to do. Hmm. And, uh, and, and this, this happened, and I, and I said we moved, we, moved, we moved in October, not September. So, but I went through about two weeks of really making the decision not to go. And things started crumbling around me. Everything that had been good that I had been, it just started to crumble around me. And uh, we, we had tried to sell our house. Our house wouldn't sell. Uh, we realized that if we didn't sell a house, we needed X number of dollars so we could pay our house note while we were living in Arizona. So we prayed. I prayed. I prayed a really simple prayer. We're laying in the bed, or laying in the bed, on the bed, the day after uh, my friend's funeral looking at the ceiling, just pulled the for sale sign out of our front yard, made the decision, we're not going to go. This is a, this was a Friday. Okay? Made the decision, we're not going to go. And I prayed this very specific prayer to God. And this was it. I said, okay, God, you want me to, this is exactly what I said, by the way. I said, okay, God, I said, you want me to move so bad? I tell you what. I said, I need somebody to come look at this house, and I need it to happen soon. Well, I should have asked for somebody to buy the house because within about an hour, there was a knock on the door. Somebody walked up to my front door and walked into our house. They said, was this house, is this house for sale? We're taking the sign out. Sound sign's gone. Sign's out of the yard. They come, they said, is this house for sale? And I said, well, yeah, it is. And they said, well, can we look at it? So they walk around, spent time with them looking at it. Answer to prayer one, right? Okay. 
Saturday morning, of course, they didn't buy it because they didn't pray for them to buy it. That's what I'm saying. If I give any, any the listeners any advice is when you pray, be specific, okay? But the uh, the next day, I'm sitting in my office, which is a building out in the back of my backyard, and I'm sitting there with my feet propped up on my desk, literally nearly in tears, going, you know, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to, and I'm feeling this urging by God, but I, I can't, I just don't feel like it's what I should do. And uh, so I pray another prayer. This is it. Okay, God, you want me to move so bad, I need $1,250 a month from the get-go, or we can't move because I can't make this house pay while we're out there. Kim, I'm not lying. It was five, if it was five minutes, it, it, I don't think it was that long. The telephone rang on a Saturday, okay? It's the president of the company that we're going to distribute chemicals for, and he says, hey, Bart, listen, I hate to bother you on a Saturday, but I had just had this thought. We have some prison business out in Arizona that if you would be willing to service it for a short term, uh, we'll give you the commission on that. It's existing business, and you can, uh, you can help it get you started. And I said, what's it pay? He said, never has it been less than $1,250 in the past 12 months, but it's usually around $1,500. And when he used that exact number, I literally hung up the phone, tears pouring down my face. And I said, okay, God. And I got up out of my chair, walked down to the house. I told Melissa, I said, get the boxes out. We're moving. And, uh, and, and everything has moved. And, and that, I mean, there was, I can just tell you a story after story about things we would pray for, and it would just happen. And, uh, and I, I, I don't know, you know, what God's plan was. I, and I, I trust it, but I do know that his plan was for us to be here right now. Yeah, I agree. You know, we've, we've had the honor of just stopping by and visiting you guys, I think, for a night or two. And the place you're in is it's so peaceful. I don't know if that's the same house. I don't know if you'll it got is. it later. But, but anyway, it's just it's such a peaceful environment. And, and it's a, it is a home. And it's obvious that you guys have been blessed in that place, which to me shows that you were lifting it up to God. I, 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 think, I think it's cool. And, you know, you, you seem to have similar conversations with God as I do, because there might be people listening that heard the tone and said, oh my gosh, I can't believe that he would talk to God that way. But, you know, I think sometimes he needs to get through to us type personalities, don't you think? Right, I do. You know, and I go back to, you know, I, I go back to Job, and Job had some pretty harsh conversations with God, and God just let him talk, and then you know, but He made Job realize that, you know, it's going to be okay, but you just got to trust me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, th that's that's a great story, and and I, I don't, I had never heard that, so so really there was divine connection for you getting in this, and so there wasn't really necessarily strategy; it was just you being open to what God did, which to me is more powerful than us saying do one, two, three, four, to uh, to get involved with a niche. But before we get too far away from Conyers, is there something else you wanted to add there? No, I was just going to say that I, it, it was it was a. Uh, uh, when we moved out here, I mean, it was a, it was a struggle. You know, we, we, we had, we had uh, six schools, which generated revenue of about $550 a month, you know, and we, and we had that prison business that we only had for a year. But in that year's time, I, my first customer was the eventual national president of the school nutrition association. 
And uh, I can't think of anything being more divine than that. You know, the, uh, I've written a book called Dealing with Difficult People that, that the forward in that book was written by another former national president who was instrumental in helping me get another aspect of our business started. And she was my first customer I ever had in Georgia. So the groundwork was being laid. I just didn't quite see it. That yeah, that's cool. And I want to, I've actually got some questions for you about the books. I was able to go through those and they have, they're packed with some great information that everyone can benefit from. But uh, before we get too far away from Conyers, Georgia, I want to ask, we grew up in a, in a small town outside of it, Atlanta, Georgia, during the 70s, into the 80s. Mm -hmm. And in, in many ways, I think it was one of the best places to grow up and all. But I just wanted to hear you say, because I actually know we've got a lot of listeners that are from that area and that still have connections to the Atlanta area and all. Tell us maybe some of the best things about growing up there and, and maybe something you wish was different. I mean, I don't like to just make things rosy and all that. I do want to say this. I, I ran across a picture recently that you and I were in, I believe this was correct, on a Little League basketball team the jerseys were green. Our arms were about the size of twigs and our yeah. legs too. We were wearing um, Chuck Taylor high tops. Mm -hmm. And I remember those green jerseys. My skin still itches today <laughs> from those jerseys. So we were, we were balling. We were on the same team, man. Am I right? Is my memory right. correct? Right. You're only a year younger than me. So. Yeah. I know I, 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 I know I look a lot younger, but. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is audio right now. We're recording it at the video. We're not, we're not sure if we'll ever release that. But, <laughs> tell, but uh, yeah. tell us about that. Uh, about, about my best of memories of Conyers? Yeah, just growing up in that area and some of the good things that made you who you are and formed you. I know, I know your family. I know your, your incredible wife and I know her family. I went to school with all of them and but, but what are some great things about it? And then also maybe just a little bit of, to, to be fair, what are some things that maybe you wish you didn't go through in that environment? Well, you know, the thing, the thing about Conyers back in when we were there, and it's, it's a dramatically different place today, but the, uh, the thing about Conyers when we were there is that is it was, it was a truly a small town. You know, I, I, I remember walking from my grandmother's house in Old Town Conyers, what they called it, down to the grocery store and knowing everybody along the way, almost like a Mayberry kind of feel where, you know, people would sit on their front porch and say hello. And, you know, if, if, if you got out of line, I, I'll, I'll never forget. I, I got, I was speeding one day on the interstate and I passed the state patrolman on I-20 and I topped the hill. There he was. He didn't pull me over. I just kept on going. I got off. I, I went to work. I came home that night and there was a state trooper sitting in my drive in my driveway of my parents' house and it was a friend of my dad's and he recognized the car. He didn't give me a ticket, didn't pull me over, let me go to work. But he had called my dad and found out when I was supposed to be home from work and he was there waiting on me to talk to me about slowing down. And uh, and, and that was just the kind of town that it was, you know, and I uh, and, and you know, we knew we knew everybody and, and I think the thing that formed me the most from my childhood experiences is the importance other people placed on me and in turn made me realize the importance of them to me. And then, you know, my parents both worked hard. My dad was constantly with two jobs. My mom was constantly with um, 
working in a beauty salon. I mean, they're from spas now, but it was a beauty salon. And uh, we uh, short there, and you know, and, and I just remember them working really hard. I remember spending a lot of time with my grandmother. My grandmother infused a lot of things in me about love for God and respect for other people, and uh, you know, and I could just sit and just rattle on this the, the you know, phrase after phrase after phrase that my grandmother instilled in me. And I, I've got a friend who I'll say things to. So my grandmama told me this, and he finally one day said, and he said, "Did your grandmama really say all this stuff?" And I said, "She really did." But I mean, no, those those are things that I remember the most. I, I remember, you know, when we went to school together. You know, we looked out for each other. We all we had differences. We were kids, but but you know, there, everything was. You know, very seldom was do we do things to hurt somebody. You know, we might do something to mess with you, might do something to make you a little uncomfortable sometimes. But the got the aim was not to hurt anybody, and uh, I think that's sort of kind of missing today in some ways. So you know. I can't really think of much that I, I, I think of badly from, from, from Conyers because, I mean, you know, I wish it were the same town it was now. I wish I, I was then, rather. And I wish, you know, I had an opportunity to bring my children up in that, but that was not, that was not to be. Um, but, I, but I think that small-town environment made me appreciate hard work, made me appreciate other people, made me appreciate God, and made me appreciate the fact that we live in the greatest country on earth. Yeah. It's really cool because when I'm reading your books and, and listening to you speak, I actually hear nuggets of where we grew up constantly sprinkled throughout all that you speak about and share and stories. And, you know, I think even in one of your descriptions, it says, you know, small town, Southern upbringing, you know, mm -hmm. type thing and all, which is, which is really cool. And, you know, I, there, there's an importance to family. And I know right now your businesses and you've got multiple companies and maybe this is sometime you can maybe share a little bit about the different companies. But right now you've got your entire family. You've got your, your, your daughter, your son, and I know your wife, Melissa, y'all all work together. We kind of do the same thing. And, and we, we, you know, we've talked before. It is awesome. Most of the time, sometimes it could be a challenge, but, but tell us a little bit about number one, just kind of give us the breadth of your companies and businesses and talk about how your family is involved with that. I think that'd be a blessing to some people listening in to hear how that can be structured and how people can do it without hurting each other. Well, Southwest Training Systems is my core business and it's what we started in uh, 2000 and we've been in business since our 20th year in business. Uh, you know, my, my whole family's been pulled through that. My, my wife and I, we, we started it and we, what we do is we go into public school cafeteria environments. We do we provide a very small amount of cleaning materials, and I really mean a small amount. And that's how we started, and we built this niche of services, rings of services, I guess you'd say, around that chemical program. And my wife was instrumental in helping me go and see schools, and actually we worked it together. And she would go see some, I'd go see some. And uh, we carried our, I carried my son with me quite a bit. We homeschooled him the first year we moved out here because the move was a little bit tr more traumatic on him because he was 11 and my daughter was a baby. So she didn't, she's in Arizona. Um, so I carried Wesley around me and he actually helped me. And so, you know, people still to this day, they'll see me and they'll go, how's little Bart doing? And I'm like, you know, it's little Bart's West now. West is six, four and got a baby of his own. Uh, but we did that. And then, you know, we trudged along with that for about, I'd say about nine years. And uh, the first five were like any other thing. They were hard. They were hard. The, 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 the first two were extremely hard. 
the first three we struggled getting through and didn't know if we were actually going to, I'm mean, actually got offered a job from a couple other companies and seriously considered taking them because it just wasn't. But I had, I had remembered a conversation I had with the guy who owned the company uh, that we bought the chemical program from. And he said, Barton, he said, how long do you think it's going to take? Me? I said, it's going to take me three to five years, but I guarantee you by five years we'll be, we'll, we'll be, cause I'll start from scratch. And um, I remember that. And every time I would have, it would be a little bit, hesitant, I'd call him and he'd remind me that Martin said it was going to take three to five years. And so we did. And and it's almost as if God fulfilled that prophecy because in year four, right towards the end of the fourth year, uh, everything changed. We got two really big accounts. We went from having a hundred or so schools to having over 300. We hired two people. We then bought vans. We now have a warehouses in Phoenix, Tucson, Albuquerque, and El Paso, Texas. Um, and, you know, we're servicing over 700 sites across the, the three states in Southwest training systems. And and that was all in what the rings we built around were basically food safe levels of training. You know, it's, first it was food safety, then it was worker safety, then it was professional development, then it was HACCP, uh, which is hazard analysis of critical control points, which is a, 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 a a guideline, best guideline of best practices for running the food service operation. And then we built another ring of USDA compliance. So we just kind of continued to build that around it. And in 2008 or nine, I can't remember, the, uh, that first customer I had in Yuma, Arizona, uh, asked me, she said, Bart, you know, the ladies love to hear you talk. Because I tell everybody when I come back, I said, you know, the one thing I love about Arizona is the cute way everybody talks. So, uh, I uh, said, they love to hear you talk, but can you do something on something else? And I said, like what? And she said, like, can you do something on customer service? And I said, I'm certain I can. So what I did was I immediately pulled up customer service presentations on the, on the, from the Internet, found one that I liked, stole it, repurposed it to, meet, you know, the, to be a school nutrition program and had the right terminology and you know, reworked it. And she liked it. She told somebody, and they brought me in and they told two friends and they told two friends and just sort of grew from there. And that's what became the guts of my communication book uh, was that, was that presentation. But, um, but it was, I'm, I'm an accidental speaker. I didn't set out ever to be a speaker. I didn't set out ever to be an author. I didn't set out ever to do courses online. None of that, that just sort of evolved out of that child nutrition niche. And then we have a school food handler, food handler solutions, which is an all online education portal geared specifically towards the food service environment. Food Handler Solutions is geared towards restaurants. School Food Handler is geared towards schools. Schools have a certain level of education, ongoing education they must do every year. And we built that to meet that, that challenge. And I can safely say that we, we are the only company that offers a comprehensive child nutrition online training program in the country. Um, now, there are other people that playing with it but not anything like that we've got right so quick question let me interject here did you know we we're in an age where people talk about business planning goals all this type stuff and as i was just listening to you and i know both you and i we we believe in goals we believe in goal setting mm -hmm. but if i describe how i've come to do what i do when you just described how this has i'll use the word evolved mm -hmm one might say it didn't seem like he knew what was going on as it was happening 
but this is my word and you correct me if I'm wrong. That'd be accurate though. <laughs> yeah. But he was just kind of operating in faith and doing something. Is that correct? Yeah. I just kept moving in the direction that things were happening. I never really, you know, I had goals. What's really funny, Ken, this is what's really funny is that for the first six or eight years, my goal was to eat. My goal was to be able to send my kids to school. My goal was survival. to be able to meet You were survival, right? I was in survival mode. Yeah. And I still find myself sometimes, even today, my son or my daughter will remind me that, or my wife, that we're not starving anymore. You know, we're not, you know, we're okay. So you don't have to really be that worried about. You know, now my biggest worries are for my employees, make sure I can keep my customers, make sure I can do the things I need to do so that they have, they're secure. Um, but uh, yeah, but I never, now the last seven or eight years, I've had pretty extensive plans. Now I've, I've been really specific with the goals and I've actually, I keep journal, I'm a journaler, I'm sure you are too, but I'm a journaler, I write every day in a journal and, uh, and I go back sometimes and thumb through some of my old goal setting notebooks and things I've forgotten, goals I've forgotten I've set that I have reached. I didn't write them down, I maybe wrote them, or maybe I only wrote them down once or twice, but I've, I've attained them because I just, and I just, it, it's fascinating to go back and see that, you know, what is it, I mean, that's, I mean, you can twist this verse any way you want to, but I mean, Habakkuk said, you know, write the vision down, make it plain on tablets so you can run with it, I'm paraphrasing, but I, 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 I believe that there's power in putting something on a piece of paper, even if you just do it once. Yeah, there's something that happens there, not just in the natural, but also in the spiritual. And I think you're attesting to that. You know, I I'd also, one of the things we like to do with this podcast, Bart, is we like to be as transparent as possible. And you mentioned some challenges uh, as it was getting started, but one might listen to this and say, oh, it was just kind of easy for him. He just kind of clicked along, doors open, he went through it and all that type stuff. But what would, I mean, just in a few minutes, what's the biggest challenge that you would say you personally have had to overcome on the journey you've been on? And I mean, we, you know, we don't have to get, you know, gory details or anything, but just share with people just to maybe understand what you've had to overcome to be, you know, the man you are today. Well, from a business perspective, the obvious challenge to start in any business is money. Because we didn't have any, you know, so we learned to uh, be very, very creative in how we, you know, what we, how we got money and what we did with our money. We became very much, very conscious of the power of budgeting and very conscious of the power of, of being cognizant of every penny, really, which is something I'd never really done. So that, that, that was one challenge that overcome was the, the need to begin to budget better. From a personal perspective, <laughs> You know, from a personal perspective, I think the biggest challenge I've had throughout the last 20 years is self-sabotage. Is that I get to a, I get to a point where things are going very, I, I, I've always joked with my wife that I'm a wartime, wartime concierge. I am extremely good when things are under pressure. I can, I, and I, that's arrogant to say, but I really am. If, you, if, if there's something going on and, and there's fighting going on, I'm the guy you want in your corner. The, the, uh, when things are calm, things are good and things are rocking along I can be a nervous wreck and I can do things sometimes subconsciously to create a problem so that I got a problem to deal with and uh, and, and, and I, I, I that was something in the last five years I finally praise the Lord got you know gotten over I've gotten more comfortable with being secure 
that how'd you do that? How'd you do that? Because I bet you're not the only one. How did you overcome that? What What'd you do? Well, I prayed a lot. I uh, I got involved in some other stuff. You know, I, I coached uh, high school basketball for ten years at my kids' high school. So uh, and and I started that about year six or seven into our business when things really were getting to settle down. And that kept me um, focused on something else, if that makes any sense. So I did that. You know, I've, uh, one of the biggest things I can tell you that I've done that's made a huge difference in my life is I've, got, I've, I've developed a routine over the last five years that, I've, that I'm, pretty, I'm pretty committed to. And that is I get up in the morning early, and I mean early, like for me, I mean 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock at the absolute latest. I get a cup of coffee, and I read. Now, and I mostly I read the Bible or I read something inspirational. Now, Zig Ziglar said, you know, he used to get up in the morning, he'd read the Bible first, and then he'd read the newspaper because he wanted to know what both sides are up to. And I, I kind of do that. And I, uh, and then I meditate. And, uh, you know, I've gotten to where, and I know that sounds woo-woo to some people, but honestly, good, you know, Jesus went away and meditated for 40 days in the desert. So I, uh, yeah, I've really gotten into doing that. And I find that that, that has given me a level of, peace and calm where I actually can, I can think through things that, that there's not the, I think a lot of times with people, they have some clutter in their brain. You know, we did, we did something that I'm sure you guys have long since done, but we did it about a year ago is we cut the cable. We don't have TV. You know, now we have Netflix and we have Amazon prime so we can watch, you know, if we, me and mom, me and Mark will sit down from time to time, watch the program. There's no commercials. It's what we pick. And, uh, you know, we, and I think that's made a huge difference in reducing the, the noise that's going on in our minds. Uh, but the meditation was, was, was a humongous part. And when I don't do it, it doesn't get busy. You know, sometimes I get, maybe I'm, I'm on the road and I, when, I'm, when I'm in my speaking mode, which is very cyclical because I speak a lot at the beginning of the school year, right after January and then over the summer. So if I get in a cyclical mode where I'm speaking four, five, six times in a week, I might, and I'm speaking early, I, I, I might, I might, I never skip the reading, but I might skip the meditation. Does that make sense? Sure. And, uh, and I, and, and, and I, and I feel it. I feel it. Uh, that is, that's become a real part of me. And it's become a real part of my clarity, if that makes any sense. That's, that is so good, Bart. You know, it's real interesting. I wrote when I was doing some notes for, for this conversation that we're having, I wrote down to ask you about your morning routine. Because, and I've never asked that to anyone, just so you know, but for some reason, I really knew you had one and I wanted you to share it and I didn't even have to ask it. So that was really cool. And I agree with you that it brings a level of peace. Sometimes it's just that routine. I, I believe that it builds. I mean, we're of the faith that if you read the Bible, if you read the word of God, that's going to be an automatic covering or peace that comes in. And then when you add to it, quiet time where you just let that soak in and saturate every fiber of your being it's hard to have a bad day well th th this this one thing came to me and I, i'm sure i've heard it before i'm sure somebody said it but i don't know who did god does not compete god does not compete god is not going to out yell fox news or cnn or the latest episode or whatever he's not going to outdo he's only going to talk to you when you're quiet now you can read the Bible, and he'll talk to you through the Bible, but 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 if you want to really feel that peace and you really want to hear that that voice, well it's called a still small voice for a reason. 
It's because you got to be still and you got to be quiet or you're not going to hear it. And uh, I just, I believe, now I've had some times when God's hit me in the head with a by four, don't get me wrong. And uh, like when I was trying to move out, when I was trying to fight moving out here, uh, you know, I got, I got pretty beat up over, over that. But, but it made me realize, but I realized it was God's loving discipline pushing me in the direction that was best for me and my family. Yeah, that is so good, Bart. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I want to I want to pivot just a little bit um, because I, I read through your simple solutions that you have that are, it's interesting, they are, you title them simple solutions, and it's kind of like one of these things that common sense isn't that common. You know, I, I, I read these and I'm going, man, these are so simple. Why don't we all do these? And maybe there's a play on words with the way you actually actually did it that way. But, you know, you're dealing with things like they're critical communication, dealing with difficult people, handling change, leadership, personal wellness. And we'll include a link in the show notes so that people can get to these items because they are not specific to the niche that you're in. I think anyone can benefit for this. But just in the, the, the last bit of time we have, I, I want to I want to kind of focus on two of those and maybe have you speak to us, maybe do a little teaching and sharing. I want to, I, I want to focus on attitude and communication because my observation of you, you know, we touch base every handful of years or maybe sooner. I, 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 I'm connected with you on social media and, and, you know, I don't know everything that's going on, but you could kind of pick up on the flavor of someone. And I, I perceive that attitude and communication are two strengths that Bart Christian has, I, I'll just say in, in capacity much more than other people and you have the ability to share with us. So, so I, I, I guess I want to talk about attitude. And the first thing I want to ask you about attitude is you mentioned Zig Ziglar often, and we have a younger audience. I mean, because, you know, when we get to our age, we've got a long life ahead of us, but mm-hmm. there's becoming more and more people younger. Some people may not know who Zig is and what his message is and if it's even current for today's world. Give us just a little bit on who Zig is, the impact. He's had impact on, on me too, but educate us on Zig Ziglar. Well, Zig, we lost Zig to heaven in 2012. And uh, I, uh, uh, and he's just, a, just was, a, was, a, was a huge factor in my life. And, uh, you know, what, what he, well, let me just tell you a funny story. Funny story is this, that my, my mama gave me a book. Uh, many, 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 many moons ago called See You at the Top. And it was Zig Ziglar's first book. And I read that book over and over and over and over again. It made a huge impact on me just as a young man and uh, kept me kind of my spirits up when times were not necessarily going my way. Well, a few years ago, uh, I had the, I was in Dallas, Texas, speaking to the Dallas uh, Public School, uh, Dallas Unified School District. And I just, it was, I was speaking on Tuesday I flew in on a Sunday because of just the way that things shook out for getting in there. And I drove up Monday morning. I found out where Zig Ziglar's office was at. I drove up to his office in Plano uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning because I was I had to be somewhere at 10. It was in that neck of the woods. and uh, Or not 10, but later that afternoon. I pulled into the parking lot, and it's a very humble place. I walked in the front door. Nobody at the front desk. I yelled down the hall, hello. And I heard a lady yell back, hey, come on back. So I walked back there and was talking to a lady named Lori Majors. So if you ever read any of Zig's stuff, you'll see her, you'll hear her name predominantly throughout. And uh, I, uh, I, I said, yeah, I thought I was a big fan and how the impact he had on my life. She said, well, have you ever met him? 
And I said, no, I'm going to have them, but I would love to. And she goes, well, he's sitting right here. You're going to come in here. And he was sitting in her office. So I went in there, sat down with him, and had a one-on-one conversation with Zig Ziglar for almost four hours. He just gave and gave and gave, and we talked and talked. And, you know, my claim to fame is he had some kind of filming or something to do, and uh, his son came in the door, and he said, uh, Zig, he said, Dad, you're going to have to go. We got to, uh, we got to, we got to go do this thing. So my claim to fame was they had to drag Zig Ziglar out of a meeting with me. <laughs> but it was all happenstance and all a God thing. But bottom line is you ask me who Zig Ziglar is. Zig Ziglar is probably um, um, the, the, the paragon of true, simple advice that doesn't work sometimes. It works every time. And, and, and when, I, when I became with the, the title of my, my series called The Simple Solutions, it's because I, I learned something from reading all of Zig's books, and he's written a blue million now. Uh, but uh, it's that we make things harder than they have to be. They don't have to be as hard. You know, you know good communication is simply built on a, on a habit of appreciation for the other person and listening. Now, there's all kinds of things that go into that. But, but I mean, if, you, if, 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 I, if I look you in the eyes and as I make eye contact with you, say something simple as this in the back of my mind is that you're important to me, and I honor you, okay? And then I make the, I don't say it out loud. I mean, that may be kind of creepy, I guess. But, but you know, say it in the back of my mind, and then, uh, and then make a, have the, have the, develop the habit of listening to hear versus listening to reply. And that's what so many people do. They're, they're listening to somebody else, and their whole, their whole mindset is, not what am I going to say next? What am I going to say next? What am I going to say next? Instead of trying to listen to what the other person is saying, Take a deep breath, give it a one, two, three count, and then speak it. And uh, so many people, they don't, they, they, they react versus respond. Yeah. So, so is Zig's message, I, I'm going to be a little bit of a devil's advocate here. I'm going to ask you a few questions that are going to maybe go into the cynical mind. We're in a very, we'll call it challenging society, very, very, diametrically oppose their sides and things like that. And you're talking about things like communication. You use the word honor. It's rarely used in society today. And is the message you just spoke about, Bart, does it really apply in our society and culture today? More than ever. Because I tell you, the more people that I, somebody posted this on Facebook the other day. They posted this and said, are there more good people in the world than there are bad people? And I was amazed at the responses, number one, but I, uh, and encouraged all at the same time. And, you know, I think the bottom line is there are vastly more good people in the world than there are bad. And, and those people who spend their lives focused on watching the news, reading the paper, absorbing all the bad stuff that's going on in the world, then their natural reaction is to think the worst of everyone. I mean, for those people, I, I can only I can only wish them that they would have a light bulb go off that would make them realize that they need to stop watching that stuff. Because I tell people, I, I start off, and I don't start off this way, but with a lot, most groups, in the first five minutes, I ask this simple question. How many people, how many in here watch the news every day? And their hands will go up. And I'll say, well, for God's sake, will you please stop? I said, because I, I, I keep up with the news periodically every two or three days. And you know what astonishes me? Is it don't change. It's the same stuff. So if you watch it, if you watch it every day 
and they're telling you that regurgitating the same bad story every 15 minutes, well, you're going to think the worst of everything. So, but, but you know, you said the word honor. Is the word honor still relevant? Uh, yes, it is. Because I think that, you know, I, I asked Ziggs when I was sitting talking to him, I asked him, I said, Mr. Ziggler, what, what, what is the, what's the most, he always talks about you can have everything you want if you help enough, enough other people get what they want. And I asked him, I said, what do people really want? He said, well, people want to feel relatively safe, they want to feel relatively secure, and they want to feel relatively important. And I said, which is the most important one? He said, that's easy. It's important. He said, if you will look at everyone that you come in contact with, no matter who they are, as if they were in a sign around their neck that says, treat me as if I am important. He said, just think that constantly. He said, you'll be amazed at the reaction you'll get back from people, even in a bad situation. You know, I've been doing a series of, 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 of things I've been putting up on Facebook and, and posting on the various social media about what's the secret to good communication. And, you know, I'm in this process, but, you know, step one is really simple. You look at other people and you look at them as if they're important and you make the decision to honor what they say. The second thing is if you're not grateful for what you have, we're so, this society that we built is, is built around discontent. I mean, you know, you watch the news, you watch TV, and then, you know, all they do is tell you the worst story, but then they take to the commercials where they tell you that you don't drive the right thing, you don't wear the right thing, you don't smell right, you don't look right, the drugs you're taking are going to kill you, we're all going to die of mesothelioma, you know, and stuff like that, and, 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 and it drives this discontent. So we, we built a society that doesn't understand gratitude. And then the third step is forgiveness. We have to be able to forgive people, and that's very difficult. People say, I can't forgive. No, that's not true. You won't forgive. We all can't. Forgiveness is a decision. And I think forgiving people, people sometimes say, well, I can't forgive and forget. Well, forgive and forget is foolish. You can't forgive and forget. That's an impossible and practical thing. I mean, if somebody steals from you, do you forgive them? Certainly. But do you forget? But do you forget? No. Because, you know, you, you can't, you, you, you can't, because otherwise you put yourself in a position to be hurt again. But you can still forgive them. And I think those are three really short components of effective communication that, 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 are, that are simple, they're, they're, they're foundational. Now, we can talk about how do you react to this, and how do you, when somebody says this, what do you say? But if you don't have those three foundations, at least two of those, two or three of those foundational elements, it's going to make the most difficult situations even more difficult. Yeah, that's that's good. And of course, we'll we'll provide links down in the show notes so people can actually get more information on that. But I, I'm kind of I really like the way you responded when I gave you a kind of a, a bit of a negative question. So I'm going to I'm going to kind of rapid fire a few more at you. Okay. And, and I'm going to play a role that I'm not used to. I'm going to I'm going to play the role of cynical person in the world. And I don't know that I believe this stuff. All right. So. <laughs> You ready for that? Let's have fun with it. And it's like, boy, it's just going to be fun here because we're, we're buttoning up against our time and I want to be respectful of that. But this is really, really good. All right. Communications. You just talked about it, Bart, but I think people are just born with certain skills and you can't learn this stuff. What do you say about that? Hmm. That's, that, 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 that's a good one. You know, I, I think that it, it, learning is a decision. I mean, nobody was born with the ability to add two plus two. Nobody was born with the ability to drive a car. Nobody was born. I mean, there, there are certain skills. There are, there are things that are talents. Now, I, I'm not a good singer. I don't know that I can learn to be a good singer. Okay? 
but there are skills that can be developed and and it more or less boils down to whether you're willing or not to develop those skills. Now we talked earlier about quiet time and getting up in the morning. No, I've had many, many people tell me, well, I just can't get up earlier. I, I have to be at work at X that time. I just can't get up any earlier. And I asked them this really simple question. What is your attitude? What is your peace? What is your, what is your, your happiness worth to you? If it's not worth 15 minutes, then it's not worth 15 minutes. But if it's worth 15 minutes, for me, it was worth 15 minutes, then it was worth a half an hour, then it was worth 45 minutes, and now it's worth an hour at least because I know the power of it. Most people that say they can't learn something, I, you know, my, my, you hear older people say, well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, that's a cop-out. That's just a cop-out. And, and, and what it is is I'm unwilling to change because I think that everybody else is a problem and not me. And that's just, you know, the forward to my book, my Dealing with the Food book says this. This book is written, uh, is dedicated to my beautiful wife, Melissa, my wonderful children, Wesley and Olivia, because they, more than anyone else, taught me about the subject of dealing with difficult people. Dot, dot, dot. Because what I learned is more often than not, it was me and not them that was being the difficult person. And I think that's a self-realization you have to come to, is that you're in control. You know, people, some, people can, some people are willing to learn, and some people are not. But everyone has the ability to learn. So you, so you in continuing along this line, you think people can change. See, a lot of people say they can't change, so you believe they can change. I wholeheartedly believe they can change. And I, and I, and I you know, if we had, you know, there's empirical evidence of people that have done just that very thing. People that have been, you know, alcoholics and stopped and became great leaders. People that were people that came from horrible situations, made horrible decisions, turned their life around, became became great in what they did. You know, we all share. I mean, there's a story about two brothers that one one one's an alcoholic and one's a very successful businessman, and they come from the same parents. And they asked the alcoholic, "Why were you an alcoholic?" He said, "Well, you see, it's because I was." Raised in a horrible childhood, my father beat me, my mother was abusive, and uh, I, you see, I had no choice. They go to the same bro the brother, brother from the same family, asking the same question, and he says, "You see, my father's an alcoholic, my mother was horribly abusive, my childhood was terrible. I had no choice. It's just a choice. You know, one chose one way, the other chose other, but both come from the same environment. Yeah. So." I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So how would you, how would you tell somebody? I mean, I've, I've heard this, especially in some of the believer circles that we're in and also some of the people that we're around that, you know, related to communications, I think that we're supposed to just tell it like it is. I think that we're supposed to let people know in, in Christians. We let them know if they're sinning. We let them know if they're messing up. How do you respond when someone says that? Well, I think, I think that's right. I think it's not there. There's, 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 but there's ways to deliver the message. Ah, okay. You know, I can, I, I, I can see you doing something. I can go, Tim. You know what? You're stupid. You know better. You know, or I can go say, Hey, Tim. Look, I'm, I'm sorry that, that, that maybe I haven't gotten this message across to you. But can I take a couple of minutes and let's go over this again? It's because the out. The, see, so many people don't focus on the outcome they want. They focus on what's happening right now. And they don't think about the outcome. Jack Canfield wrote in his book, Success Principles. He said this, E plus R equals O. Okay, events plus your response or reaction equals outcome. 
Now, you can't control the events. You can't. You really can't control the outcome, but you can have an influence on it. What you can control is how you respond or react to something. And it goes back to that, what I said earlier, was that so many people are focused on what they're going to say next versus listening to what's actually going on. But they can actually, and you, you and I both have probably shared this, I have taken bad situations and made them exponentially worse just by saying a couple of things. When if I took a deep breath and, and thought about what I was going to say, it would have turned out a lot different. I think I think I do that most with dealing with my wife and Glory. I'm sure you you don't do that though with Melissa, do you? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm I'm the perfect husband. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah right. I'll, I'll yeah. tell you that that's. And I, 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 I'll tell you that in another life too. In a <laughs> I believe it's a great reflection that we're both 30 plus years marriage of the of the grace of the Father. Amen. <laughs> that we have been able to do what we've done. Bart, I have, I have so enjoyed talking to you and I, and you know, here's the good and the bad. You and I could probably do this for another few hours and it would be awesome. We would enjoy it, but I, you know, we've already gone a little longer than, than typical. Um, tell us just, I mean, there's another question I'll ask you to kind of follow up to wrap up, but what's next for Bart? What are you excited about? Is it, you know, maybe dinner or even some goals that are coming up here in the next year and what's next for you? Now, I, I, I think I've been driven in the last year towards um, significance. Now, I've been in survival mode for years. I've been, in, I've been secure for a few years now. Now, I think I'm wanting to do something that will make an, make an impact. And, you know, I, I, I'm not looking to make an impact on the world because changing the world is kind of a daunting task. But I'm very interested in changing myself continually and trying to touch one other person. And if I can touch one other person on a regular basis, now I can stand in front of a group of five people, or 50 people, or 5,000. And I've, I've done all that. And, uh, and, and, and I started looking at, I used to look at the big groups and go, how can I get all these people on my side? But when I stopped, and I said, how can I make sure that I don't miss that one person in this audience that needs this message? Everything changed. And it made it a lot easier to talk to big groups. It made it a lot easier to talk to small groups because I realized that I wasn't there for them. I was there for that one person. And if I, that's my prayer every single time I step on stage, every time I get in front of the camera, is that God, please don't let me miss that one person. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you for that, Bart. What's, uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they just want to reach out or learn more about you or get some of the additional training and books that you have? We can put it down in the notes, but how would they reach out to you? Well, my, my website is uh, it's, it's real easy to remember. It's bartchristian.com. So, uh, and then if you want to find me on uh, Twitter or Facebook or uh, Instagram, any of that, it's bartchristian as well. Now, on Instagram, I think Twitter, one of them is Bart Christian one, but it's all some variation of Bart Christian. And, uh, um, and then uh, obviously we've got a, uh, uh, we're going to be rolling, we're rolling out some things and some, we're going to be, as, as you get on the website, you're going to see some, uh, some new courses available, uh, some new things. We're taking some of this information that we've been accumulating over the years and trying to package it so that some of the things I've been delivering to groups across the country, package it in a way that there's someone can possibly at home, pull up some information, get some of what you know what 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 I've been led to that I believe is pretty good information, and uh, uh, and 
apply it to themselves because you know I use the word simple solutions only for everything because the answers to problems are quite often very very simple they're not necessarily easy but they're very very simple and uh, and I try to keep it there because I think that that's you know we can cycle babble things to death but the bottom line is you know there are some there are usually simple steps to fixing or, or remedying or finding a solution for your situation yeah that's good and I highly recommend people reach out to you and obviously people that are in the industry but I, I think anyone can learn a lot of valuable things from you the title of the podcast Bart is seek go create there's a lot to those words but one thing I like to ask guests as we wrap up is which one of those words jumps out to you and why maybe has some meaning or or says something to you seek go create you know I, 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 I gotta tell you that they all jump out at me for a different reason okay you know seek and you shall find you know go and make disciples amongst other men and other women you know and and create you know do the things that, that that God's given you because of all those three words I guess I'm gonna have to say that create sticks with me the most simply because I feel like so many times we have music inside of us we have things inside of us that God has put in there for us to give to other people it's just simply our job to to to, to ask his guidance and creating it from what he's given us because I, I that's my my if, if you if you were to ask me what my biggest fear in life is my biggest fear in life was be to, would be to die and still have music left in me i i kind of i don't want to i don't want to rust out i want to burn out if that makes any sense yeah. and that and i i believe that that's you now i believe god's put you and i both here for a reason and that reason is to create something that will make people go Seek yeah, that's so Bart, thank you so much. Thank you for having an impact. I'll tell you that I I highly encourage people to reach out and connect with you in whatever way they can on social media, via your website, your books, or anything like that. Because I thoroughly enjoy I've gone and watched your YouTube and you know, in some ways I go, Man, I I, I played little league ball with that guy, you know, and all of that. So Anyway, I just want to thank everyone for listening. I know this episode has been a blessing to you, and I'm so thankful to Bart and Melissa and his family for all that they're doing. And I just encourage all of you that are listening to keep listening, keep sharing, rating the podcast. It is so helpful. We're getting such great feedback. And I look forward to speaking with you on the next episode of the Seek, Go Create podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Seek, Go, Create podcast, a part of the SGC network. For those looking for excellence, moving towards success, and creating something new, we are constantly discussing bold new topics and ideas here on the network, so be sure to subscribe to be notified when we post new episodes. We look forward to sharing more with you next time, but until then, enjoy the journey.